I'm here with Stephen Gates, director of the Canadian Homelessness Research Network at York University. Thanks so much for joining us on the Homeless Hub podcast. Thank you. Right out of the gate, we can start by looking at the report. Uh, one of the first points that you make is that Canadians aren't jarred by the sight of youth homelessness. And in particular, you cite uh, panhandlers and squeegee kids. Why do you think that is that people aren't concerned when they see youth homelessness kind of in the wild? I think that in Canada, we've kind of got used to the idea that there are homeless people to the point where we think it's normal, typical, and it's okay. We've gotten used to the, the idea that there are young people who are homeless, but also that the best way to address youth homelessness is through emergency programs, that kind of thing, shelters and supports. And a lot of the problem in terms of how we deal with youth homelessness has to come with the stigma that's attached to being young and homeless, where we're both taking a lot of ideas we have about who is homeless and why they're homeless, that, you know, many people believe people choose to be homeless, that kind of thing, and combining it with many negative attitudes we have about young people, that many of them are bratty, disrespectful, don't want to go along with the rules, are delinquent, those kind of things. And we mash them up to create this notion of uh, the homeless youth who ran away from home because they don't like to do the dishes, is purely rebellious, is out to do nasty things downtown, is dangerous. In other words, is somebody that we should not necessarily feel sympathy towards, but we should uh, be afraid of. And so if you think that that's who is young and homeless, then you don't really have to care. It doesn't matter. You don't need to care because they're just bratty and they'll either pull themselves up by the bootstraps and go home or something will happen, but it doesn't really pull at you. So the way we think about youth is going to impact on how we respond to their needs. And I think that has led to a very kind of passive approach to youth homelessness in Canada, where we have relied too much on emergency shelters and soup kitchens. Sometimes they're targeted for homeless youth, but many communities don't have any shelters at all for homeless youth, so they just toss them in with the adults. To me, that's a huge mistake. It's highly destructive and may contribute to, for these young people, a lifetime of poverty and for many of them, eventually chronic homelessness. So you cite Sigert's 2012 study on homeless youth, and in particular, Sigert's finding that despite efforts to the contrary, Canada's population of homeless youth uh, using the shelter system saw little change in its numbers from 2005 to 2009. And then you say yourself that that window could be expanded to the last 10 to 15 years, saying that in that larger window, we still haven't seen a lot of change in terms of the population of homeless youth. What, what is it about the experiences of homeless youth that just isn't addressed through contemporary response models? There hasn't really been any evidence of progress in reducing the numbers of homeless. And the reason is, I would argue, is because we're coming at it the wrong way. Our investment has been in the emergency response. If we wanted to really see a shift, we would have to move aggressively to change from focusing on emergency services to focusing more on prevention on the one hand and on identifying people in the homeless sector, in the shelter system, who are chronically homeless and move them into housing as quickly as possible. The communities that have made that shift with the 
homeless population as a whole have seen great results uh, in Canada. In Alberta, that's where a lot of the mo or a lot of the real innovation is. And so Edmonton, for instance, has seen a 30% reduction in overall homelessness between 2008 and 2012. That's very dramatic. Medicine Hat, the, the figures are quite stunning. They, they haven't released this yet, but they've virtually eliminated chronic homelessness in their community so that the only people in their shelters are there for a day or several days and move on. They don't have people who are mired in the shelters for 10, 15 years anymore. So this is important in that if we shift from an emergency focus to prevention and moving people out of homelessness who are chronically homeless, we can make an impact. What we need to understand with youth is how to do that with young population. Understanding that because the causes of homelessness are different for adults and young people, the solutions are going to have to be different as well. So some communities are starting to develop strategic responses to youth homelessness. Calgary has, Kamloops has, Kingston is starting to do this. Uh, and if we can see more of that where they really put the issues of adolescence and young adulthood at the center of the response, we'll probably start to see some of those numbers that Seger reported drop in time. But the reality is very few communities are targeting youth homelessness in that kind of concerted way. There's a lot of good reason to really focus our energies on youth homelessness. In Canada now, the priority of the government of Canada and many provinces is to focus on chronically homeless adults, in particular adult men, who make up the bulk of the homeless population. This is people who have been homeless for multiple years, who have very complex mental health and addictions issues. I would argue that we need to focus on youth homelessness because I would predict that many, if not most, of those people who are chronically homeless adults their homelessness started when they were teenagers. So we need to really stop right there if we want to think about it in a preventive way, put our energies into ensuring that young people get the supports they need so that not only they can get off the streets, but that they can live healthy lives and can live well. That means giving them time and support and an opportunity for an education to help them move forward with their lives. You mentioned that youth homelessness as a broader issue really began to grow about 20 years ago and now obviously going by the name of your report which is coming of age reimagining the response to youth homelessness in Canada you're looking to revamp the current models of response to youth homelessness however before we really start talking about what's wrong and how it can be fixed could you highlight some examples of what's been done right over the years in responding to youth homelessness well there are many communities that have done a good job of, of addressing youth homelessness in Canada, um, but most communities don't. It is worth identifying those that do though. Sometimes it's a community level response, an integrated response like in Hamilton or in Red Deer, Alberta, where they're actually trying to work to, to pull together the different players to develop an integrated model of support. Uh, in other cases, it's outstanding programs uh, which pop up all across the country. And in St. John's, Newfoundland, there's Choices for Youth, which is a big innovator that has done an incredible job with uh, developing employment and housing supports for young people with the focus on green jobs, developing training to address energy poverty in that uh, province. 
In Winnipeg, you have the Ray program that's also a big innovator in providing supports for young people who are homeless. And so there are those kind of examples across the country. The Boys and Girls Club of Calgary is one of the ones that I always look to because they have eight programs that on their own are an integrated model of support that involve some programs that target homelessness, youth homelessness prevention, they have emergency supports, and they also have interesting housing models from uh, transitional housing to housing first. And so these are like shining examples and there are many more in Vancouver and, and in St. Catharines and Hamilton that really point the way to what we should do, or in Toronto. So part of the problem I think though is that that innovation historically has stayed very close to the ground because these programs do the innovation, they're not funded or don't have the capacity to sort of tell their story more broadly to others. And so if you wanted to, if you were in Saskatoon or or somewhere, could be anywhere, and you wanted to figure out, well, how should we address youth homelessness? It's kind of hard. You have to rely on your connections. And, you know, I heard that there's a cool thing in Ottawa. How am I going to do that? And I think, you know, for too long we've relied on that, that just sort of the luck and serendipity of having to know someone in another city. We have to get better at doing research on and evaluating programs and describing through case studies what works, for whom it works, and how it works. And that's part of the responsibility of the research community, but it's also a responsibility of funders. We're starting to build, in a sense, really good examples in this country. Now what we have to do is build the means for other communities to learn from and adapt those models to their own communities. One of the topics that you bring up is this idea of adolescence interrupted. And now in the report, you do expand on what this is, but I think our listeners would really be interested in hearing a bit more about just what this is and how it factors into the broader discussion around youth homelessness. Yeah, this is an idea that I've thought about for a long time when I used to work in the youth homelessness sector in the 90s. Um, We have in Canada or any country, we have understandings about the transition to adulthood and what it involves. And in Canada, here are some of the things that I think most people would agree with. Um, Adolescence can be a challenging time for young people, depends on the young person, but it involves all kinds of changes. The physical changes, physiological changes, um, becoming sexual beings, um, cognitive shifts, all these kind of things that are important. Learning to be an adult, learning to have adult relationships, learning how to communicate, how to to work together. So these kind of things are happening during adolescence, but also there's a whole lot of other kinds of learning that goes on. Young people stay in school, and nowadays they stay in school much longer than they would have 10, 15, 20 years ago. But young people are also learning how to get by in the world. Everything from how to drive a car, how to set up a doctor's appointment, get a dental appointment, uh, how to run your own place, getting your first job, what do you do with your first paycheck. All of these things happen to young people in dribs and drabs gradually over time. And they accumulate. That experience accumulates to the point where we can move out, hopefully, in a successful way, get our own place, earn enough income, uh, develop relationships, and and become independent. And, And any adult went through that process, and for most of us it took a number of years to do that. So what happens with young people who are homeless is they experience what I like to call adolescence interrupted. So that gradual process of becoming an adult suddenly comes to a crashing close when a young person becomes homeless. 
rather than have the time to become an adult, now everything changes. At 16, 17, 18, they're now expected to figure out what they want to do. They have to go get a job. School is now part of the past. They have to start being responsible in terms of their money, save their money for rent, don't spend money on frivolous things. All of these things come crashing down on somebody where they have to instantly become an adult at the very moment when they're, they've left home and are suffering the trauma of loss of family and friends and community, maybe are escaping traumatic situations. So you take young people who are in this extraordinary context of, of loss and difficulty and now expect them to be more adult than a young person who's living at home and has the time to grow up. We've turned that completely upside down, right? These are the very young people who need support and need time and need the chance to grow into adulthood to repair the damage that may be contributed to their becoming homeless in the first place. And instead we've created a system that suddenly puts the emphasis on becoming independent as quickly as possible. And I think that's a real setup. It's unfair to the young person to place these kind of demands on them when we wouldn't with somebody who's housed. And it's going to produce the kind of results that we don't want to see which is young people are going to get stuck, their self-esteem is going to decline, their ability to move forward in life is going to be compromised, they may get involved with addictions, they may get in trouble with the law. All of these things happen when we don't take seriously the needs of the growing and developing adolescent. This is a key thing that's different, right? Because many programs and models and funders will only give young people support for limited times. Shelters might allow you to stay for only three weeks or three months. Transitional housing models might give you support for a year. None of this makes sense when we're talking about young people. The story I always say to people is that, you know, my own children live in transitional housing and it's called my house. And what happens in my house is that they get shelter, they get financial support, they get adult mentoring, they get the time to grow into adulthood. They're going to make mistakes, they're going to make two steps forward and three steps back on occasion. They're going to learn life skills, they're going to get chance to develop healthy social relations, all of these things, but it's going to take as long as it needs to take. When my kids turned 16 I didn't say you've got one year to get it together and out you go because it doesn't make sense today. They need to take as long as is necessary. And so we should actually build our model of accommodation and supports around that sensibility, not time delimited. If we want young people to stay in school, we can't tell them they have to leave in a year because then their focus will be on getting work. We have to say to them, we're gonna, we have to contract with them and say, we're gonna support you until up to 24, for instance. And if you want to go to school, that's great. If you want a job, that's great. But we're going to help you move forward in a way that makes sure that you are healthy, that you develop healthy social relations, that you get involved in meaningful activities. And if we do that, we're going to have better results. There's a line about a third of the way through the report, and if you blink, you'll miss it. Uh, you say many Canadians now get the idea that homelessness prevention is a good idea. What's different now that Canadians finally get that importance? Well, I think what's happening is that people are starting to realize that 
simply putting people in emergency shelters and day programs while meeting an immediate need isn't providing the long-term solution. When homelessness exploded in Canada, it was quite natural to, to say we need emergency shelter beds and we have to do something, it's an emergency. Because if you see somebody, it, it's, you know, here we are in Toronto today, it's 20 below. If you see somebody outside, you're obviously going to go right to the place of we have to get that person out of the cold, get them warm, and, and so that they can, you know, not die, that kind of thing. But after a while, you start to realize that that's only part of the solution. That's no solution if that uh, experience of being in an emergency shelter becomes transformed into the place where the young person lives for years and years. If that happens, then we've got a problem on our hands and we've done something terribly wrong. You see, we're always going to need emergency services, but the emergency service can't be the solution to the problem. I'll give you an example. Uh, about 10 years ago, there was a major fire in Kelowna, in British Columbia. The fire moved towards the city. At a certain point, they realized we better start evacuating because houses started to burn. And so what they did is they put people in motels and hotels. They put people in hockey rinks, in school gymnasiums. Other people were able to find accommodation on their own, sleeping on the couches of their friends and neighbors. And so that's what you had to do in that crisis. You, you, in an emergency, people need their immediate needs met for food and shelter and that kind of thing. But can you imagine if we came back to Kelowna in 2014 and there were still people living in the gymnasium or in the hockey rink? We'd be going, wow, we screwed that one up. That emergency response was never intended to become permanent support for people. That's exactly what we've done with homelessness. There are lots of homeless people who've been homeless for 5, 10, 15 years, including young people who, uh, not necessarily for 15 years, they wouldn't be young anymore, but I know with my own research there are lots of examples of, if you take out the people who are short-term homeless, the average length of time that they've experienced being homeless is four years. Four years, if, if a young person's in an emergency shelter system for four years, we have failed them in the same way as if somebody was still in a gymnasium in Kelowna. And you use the term retooling when you're talking about how emergency services can better respond to youth homelessness. And if I can read into that a little bit, you're implying that the system isn't a complete loss or a write-off. It just needs to be adapted or adjusted to better serve uh, the, the younger population. What are some of the key adjustments that need to take place? When we talk about retooling the emergency response, what we're not talking about is jettisoning it because there will always be a need for emergency services. What's happened though, because we haven't had in place effective prevention strategies or a robust model of accommodation and support for young people, the emergency sector has been tasked with doing way, way, way too much for doing everything for homeless youth, including providing them with shelter for years on end. And that's a problem because the emergency response was never ever intended to become a permanent kind of support. So when we say retool it, we mean on two levels. One is to orient the emergency response so that it supports both the prevention of youth homelessness but also the movement of young people out of homelessness as quickly as possible. That means things have to happen outside of the emergency sector to make that happen. It's not the emergency sector's responsibility to provide accommodation and supports 
or to deliver all the prevention services there. That's other sectors' responsibility. But most certainly, the emergency sector should be there to help facilitate the movement of young people through homelessness as quickly as possible. We need to create real targets of short-term time limits for young people in the homelessness emergency sector, but give, place, give the sector places to send young people to so that they don't get stuck in the system. We need to make sure that the emergency response is respectable, works from where they're at. Many emergency services do a wonderful job in this regard where they operate in a non-judgmental way, ensure young people have access to health care, that young people get support around sexual health issues, that young people uh, have access to harm reduction supports. We need to ensure that those emergency services are non-discriminatory, right, so that they don't reproduce some of the problems that led to youth homelessness. No emergency service should be allowed to operate, for instance, that promotes homophobia and discrimination because in many cases it's homophobia that led to youth homelessness and if the sector itself contributes to that, it's creating harm. So there are certain changes that have to happen in many emergency responses, but the key thing is, is that the emergency services shouldn't be on the hook to be responsible for solving youth homelessness. And as you see it right now, do you think there's sufficient political will to enact these sorts of changes that you're putting forward? I think we're starting to see some big changes in different places. Um, you know, Hamilton's got a great response that they've developed at the community level. Uh, in Alberta, many communities from Red Deer to Calgary have developed youth-specific responses. The government of Alberta is getting ready to release its strategic response to youth homelessness. And then you have organized organizations working across the country. Uh, Eva's national initiative has been a key player in working with communities to start to develop the idea that we need focused strategic responses to youth homelessness. So there is definitely a big shift. The world looks very different now than it did in 2010, I would say even. Um, there's a lot more sharing of ideas, a lot more planned responses, and I think we're going to start to see some real changes.